Hey everyone, welcome to Savage to Sage, where we explore the evolution of entrepreneurs. In this show, we hear from leaders on the challenges and breakthroughs that have shaped them on their journey toward becoming a sage. Hey everybody, welcome to the Savage to Sage podcast. I have the privilege of introducing to you Mark McCorkle. He is the CEO of Inflection Point. Mark, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. So we were talking before the show. I'm excited to kind of jump into specifically your business. But before we do that, can you share with me kind of like a concise bio of the companies you founded and a little bit about the path that got you here today? Started out at Ontario Systems as a software engineer many years ago and worked there for really about 20 years, I guess. And then at that point, wanted to take a little bit of a break, reconnect with family, figure out what should be next. So it took kind of a sabbatical. While I was doing that, a friend reached out and asked if I would do some consulting. Um, and I said, sure. And it was a very fortuitous decision because at that consulting gig, I also met this guy named Mike Kelly from Developer Town. And so I was talking to him about what I've been doing and trying to figure out what I should do next. And he's like, and you know, Mike's like, dude, you should get a salt. And I'm like, dude, I don't know how to do that. I mean, I just did this. It was a friend kind of helping a guy out. I don't know, go out there, do my own business. He says, you got this. I'll, I'll help you through it. And, you know, about 10 years ago, that, that started a journey of me consulting, working with a lot of startups and scale-ups around Indianapolis and um, getting to the point where early last year founded uh, Inflection Point. So during the time I was working with the startups and scale-ups, I noticed you know, lots of things evolving. You know, AWS, you know, totally changed the world of how quickly you can stand up systems and launch products and, you know, CICD, just all the things you can do and truly deliver in an agile fashion. And there was this one piece that seemed to be missing and it felt like there are still these gaps in strategy execution and people really define it and execute on it. And I was kind of wrestling with it Loving the work I'm doing with all these startups, loving your work with a lot of great teams and everything, but feeling like there's a piece missing. My tagline during that time in my life was, I'm not an idea guy. When people ask what I do, I get shit done. So I don't know if you have to hit that part out, but that's literally what I said. And it resonated with people, right? I mean, you just need to be able to ship products. As I was working on it, I actually started taking jujitsu lessons. And that's where the inspiration came from. So if I jump way back, even before Ontario days, I actually ran a, a Taekwondo school, trained police and pressure point control tactics, gun, knife disarming, all sorts of cool stuff. So here I am later in life taking jujitsu and going, man, this is just so much harder. And it's like I went from playing checkers to chess. And so being the geek I am, I started studying a little bit of neuroscience, you know, situation awareness, how do people make decisions under pressure? And... One study I read had this interesting point, and it said, novices know facts, and experts understand relationships. And and that, like, for some reason, that particular statement really clicked with me and tied back to all this consulting I'm doing. And I'm looking at the work and feeling like, you know, that's that feels like part of the problem with these companies I'm working with on strategy execution. Like, we're focused on really the facts of things. I think we're missing out 
on truly understanding other relationships and all the being the line behind them. And so from that one little uh, phrase came the, the company inflection point. That's incredible. I mean, we were talking before the show, but I mean, when you look at your LinkedIn, you know, it kind of says 20 years of experience of product and tech leadership roles. And you provide at an inflection point, you provide executive teams on what they need to do better and how to better predict complex strategic initiatives. Um, I think that that story goes so well uh, with, you know, kind of what you're trying to do with inflection point. So all that to say is that, can you flesh that out a bit further for me? You know, businesses today are, are just more complex. The, you know, there's more interactions. Interactions happen faster. Competitors can adapt faster. Customers have more access to information. Just, there's just all of this information out there in the world and all of this, these systems tied together. And, and that, you know, adds complexity. And so when we started working with product companies, talking about, you know, how do you really get into aligning your product strategy, you know, with your corporate strategy and uh, make sure that you're not just, you know, the, the widget factory pushing things out. You're really focusing on key customer problems, you know, problems that your customers really value, things they're really going to pay for and seeing how do those problems and which of those problems really align with, you know, your corporate strategy? And then the way you solve those problems, you know, how does that all align? You know, a lot of companies will say, you know, we did this work and we pivoted or whatever, and, and we hit these unintended consequences. And when I think about that, so the unintended consequence in my mind is essentially a relationship that you didn't see until, you know, after something bad happened. And, and so we're trying to highlight that and let everybody see it tied together. You know, one of the funny things, almost a little embarrassing, I, I was so naive early, early in my career. So my mentors were fantastic servant leaders. And, you know, I thought everybody was servant leaders. Like that was the way everybody did leadership. And then I get out consulting and you know what? <laughs> everybody doesn't actually believe in servant leadership. <laughs> and, and that was a big shock to me. You know, when you, when you look at why and, and you think about command and control and all that, and, you know, as a leader, it can be unsettling to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to hand this off to my team. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let them run with it. I'm just giving them a little bit of direction. And so if we can give the leader more confidence that, you know, he's providing a good framework, good guardrails for the team to kind of stay within and execute on, then you know, hopefully we can help foster a little bit more servant leadership in the world. And I think better results because, you know, teams love to solve problems, right? They don't, people don't want to just, you know, go to work and, you know, do the same thing every day. They want to solve hard problems. And um, that's just a win-win for everybody. So I, I feel like you're kind of, you're getting there. And I just want to press on a little bit further. The way that I heard you, you know, kind of just use that last example is, is that, it seems like leaders can have difficulty releasing or empowering their team under them to kind of grow the overall organization. Is that kind of something that you've experienced that's been a common theme in your consulting? It is. And I think the places that have done that well have been very successful. You know, you get worked with companies that have launched new 
complex products, you know, n- not just a simple MVP, but real working products in, you know, four to six months of, you know, with several teams pulling together and getting that level of alignment, you know, has to come from the bottom up. Strategy is all about trade-off decisions. And so you've got a leadership team making trade-off decisions, sort of, there's a high level of them that are very powerful and infrequent. You know, what customers are we going to serve and what's important to the business? But when you get into your day-to-day execution of your strategy, you've got your team making trade-off decisions like literally every day. And those have to align. And whether you want to be a servant leader or not, or more command and control, the team is still going to make trade-off decisions. They've got to have the information to make good trade-off decisions, one that are consistent with the company. I'm probably biased, but to me, it all just naturally flows back into kind of servant leadership, set everybody up, give everybody the context, let them make key decisions, and um, you know, hopefully iterate through minor course corrections over, over a period of time rather than kind of big ones at the end. That's great. When do you see like in an organizational structure that people really need to kind of like focus on strategic initiatives? Like at what part of the life cycle of organizations do you feel like need it the most, if that makes sense? So I get the question a lot of like, would, would we work with a startup? So like, is it, does somebody who has, you know, maybe, maybe it's a founder, you know, a couple engineers, it's a SaaS company, we're going to maybe just three or four of them. And like, well, you know, that's a small group and they can share information well. And that is true that I see, you know, organizations that tend to get into the 30 million in revenue range, just having enough critical mass where they've let, realizing that it's hard to share the strategy, make sure it's on the same page and follow up on it. But even in the small groups, uh, there's the discovery part of strategy. You know, I, I believe that a substantial number of ideas are just going to fail, right? Like, and we have to continue to pivot. And the more of that work you can pull up front, the cheaper you can iterate through it. You know, again, it's cheaper to put together a quick prototype or even wireframes, user feedback. And so really any size organization can benefit from pulling more upstream and doing discovery work. What I found consistently is a lot of organizations, you know, it's actually sort of easier in the organization, just dynamics, culture to you embark on a $2 million project than to spend $100,000 to figure out you shouldn't do that $2 million project, you know? So it, that was another kind of surprising thing to me. And again, so, so I geek out on psychology and neuroscience. And I, I actually read this other piece that said, you know, so our human brain is actually wired to prefer a negative outcome over an uncertain outcome. Let's just say that, you know, hey, I'll either give you $100 or make you watch every Keanu Reeves movie without um, any breaks, you know, and assuming Keanu Reeves, every Keanu Reeves movie be a bad outcome, right? You would rather have just the certainty of a bad outcome than that. And so, you know, you, you read a lot about cognitive biases and other things, but there's a sort of other aspect of psychology of just the, the, the wanting to avoid uncertainty that people in their strategic planning, I think, and keeps them from kind of pulling that up. They want to, pretend there's more certainty than there is there. So you bring up a fascinating point. So how does, you know, you know, that point that you made there dealing with if somebody would rather deal with something certain, how does that affect strategic planning? And how do you as a consultant build your model not on 
kind of that fallacy and kind of help people take more risk towards uncertainty? Because I would imagine going towards uncertainty for organizations would probably be healthier is what I'm alluding to. Would you concur with that and kind of, yeah, flesh that out? So ultimately, you're, you're after outcomes, right? The, yes. The business wants to grow revenue, maybe, you know, reduce expenses, increase gross margin. You know, customers have problems they want solved that are going to, you know, benefit them in some way. And, and all those represent outcomes. When you get so fixated on the actual work you're doing, the, the thing you're producing, the output, I think what you actually do is introduce more risk into that because you can get further down the road. And then if, you're, if your customer doesn't realize the value that you're expecting to deliver, then you're probably not going to recognize your business outcome, right? So say you launch a new product to meet some untapped customer need. Well, if it turns out customers don't want to use the product for that, you probably have sales forecasts, all sorts of revenue tied to it, and um, you're not going to achieve those outcomes. So recognize the uncertainty and doing... I'm, I'm also a diehard Agile guy. You know, start small and deliver value early and then iterate through it with the customers. If what you're focused on is the outcome for the customer and the outcome for your business you want to achieve, then you can continually iterate to that and ultimately get to it. There may still be a lot of uncertainty at the end, but you end up with a better result. Interesting. That's really, really fascinating. I think that's like, that can be hard for people to kind of understand and probably grab a hold on, I would imagine. Is that, has that been your experience in a sense? Because that's definitely a, a serious mind shift. It is. And, you know, the, I'm a, a gray beard these days, so I've, I've had lots of successes and, and lots of failures. And, you know, it, it, it really is true. You learn so much more from your failures than your successes. Man, I, I had one, one product launch in particular comes to mind that I think really kind of prepared for that. It was just, it was a bust. Like, it was horrible. It was lawsuit level, um, you know, working all night trying to prevent lawsuits and just went wrong in, in just so many ways. And, you know, I learned so much from that. And later on in things saw, you know, here's something that could be continuing down that same path and we should really avoid that. <laughs> right? yeah. don't, that yeah. is not something you want to do twice. Software making new mistakes. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of like the red lights go off internally. Like, oh, this was close to that one time. Yeah, we, right. I, we're going to remember not to do that again. Yeah, but you know, once you've had something that you consider really like a failure, it's sort of a, a life altering level. But yet, and you survive it. You do feel right. Everybody gets by. It was painful for a while. Don't yeah. ever do it again. Like. It does help you in a couple of ways. First of all, surviving it is important. You realize you, you will get through it all when the next one comes up. And um, I, I think you're just more more cautious, try to make sure you avoid that. And I, I'm a I'm a risk taking kind of guy still. So you know, I I like launching products measured in weeks, not months. You know, for MVPs and things. Still taking small risks. So like. Not going all in on the first bat, I guess. Maybe a good way to <laughs> say that. I mean, when you're in your 20s and 30s, I mean, I think that's kind of, that kind of feels like the norm. And at least for me, it does. So, yeah. So, going, I mean, we're kind of touching a little bit kind of of, you know, your personal experience here. 
you know, like, so what kind of, you had mentioned that like kind of Mike Kelly was kind of an influence to kind of jump into your consulting practice. Like, can you tell me more about like that decision that led you to kind of say like, oh yeah, I think I can do this. Like, I think this makes sense. Let's see, at what point did I think I could actually do it? I think that was several years in. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Maybe the reluctant entrepreneur. um, Yeah. Yeah, you know, Mike's support. And and same thing with this. So inflection point is is so me going from, you know, independent contractor guy helping companies go launch a a SaaS company, you know, some services around helping um, around strategic initiatives. And first stab at being CEO and still lots of things I don't know. And I, I think it was easier because I did take the kind of small step first into consulting and build a big network. And I've got a, uh, a small advisory board of people that fill very specific gaps that I have in expertise. And then just, you know, kind of a little bit broader support network of people I've worked with that can help whether it's in legal or finance, sales, marketing, you know, whatever. Um, I guess it, it, it's sort of like, you know, having kids. If you if you wait till you're ready to have kids, you're not going to, right? And if you wait till you're ready to start a business, you're you're probably not going to. At some point, you just got to take the leap of faith and yep. jump in there, you know, just, just got to make sure you got a supporting cast around you because some days you're like, why, why in the world did I do this? This, this yeah. can't be a good idea. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, one of the things that we talk about a lot, like um, well, before I jump to that question, what has been kind of like your biggest professional or biggest personal test on your kind of entrepreneurship journey? When I got out into the consulting world, just you know, realizing, you know, some of the situations kind of get into, um, you know, some of the, when, when startups start going south and they're reaching out for help and by nature, you know, you really want to help people. Sometimes you got to figure out how you want to help that person, right? And what is the right help they need? And, you know, that, that took a little bit at first because, um, I was always wanted to jump in and, you know, let's, let's save this, let's turn this around, let's do something. But sometimes that's not actually really the, the right or, or best answer for that situation. And so that was kind of tough to learn kind of where things are. And, and sometimes the, when you just want to give somebody the really tough advice of, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to help you with that. And you know, my true, honest opinion, you know, should wind it down or do whatever else. That was, that was a big challenge. That makes sense. The question I was going to ask before that is, you know, what do you do to kind of, you know, keep yourself inspired to fuel yourself as kind of a leader to kind of like, hey, I'm running this ship. I'm running this team. I'm leading this organization. How do you how do you take care of yourself in that? By nature, I'm, I'm very intrinsically motivated and I'm which, which is generally this part's kind of bad for leading the team. If, if I was on the team and we cured cancer, be great. Can we go solve world hunger now? And, you know, let's just move on to the next thing. And, you know, for me, that's fine. But for teams and most people, you know, that's that's not great. And so I've got to constantly you know, remind myself to to take the time and celebrate the victories, 
when I look what I'm doing now, it's not really any different than when I go back to my first manager position leading a team of developers years ago. You know what? We've, we've got a set of problems to solve. We want to achieve some results. And, you know, how are we going to go do that together? Now, maybe the scope of the decisions changed some because, you know, it's at a business level, not a smaller product level. But still, you're, I mean, you're working with a team of people. You're collaborating. It's not a one-man show. It's still a team effort. And I think as long as it stays that, then sure, you have bad days. Some days you get tired and things, but it's not like, you know, oh my gosh, you know, the, the weight of the entire world is on me, right? And yeah. it has to be me. Um, no, it, it's our team. And, you know, I've, I've got a strong team of people I'm working with my network. And so kind of easy to stay going. I love it. I love it. So I, I was overseas for quite some time. And uh, one of the things that they talked about was building a raft, you know? So pretty much when you go overseas, you pretty much hit lots of transition points, ups, downs, and like they just tell you to expect that. But as long as you have like a raft, you know, kind of you referred to this a couple of times, like people around you, your board, your wider network, your team, you know, all of those people, like it's just, you can rely on those people to kind of help be there if they're strategically placed around you to make things work. And so I really like kind of you, it seems like you've you've had that around your business, yourself, and within the company, which I think is really, really neat. So thanks for sharing those pieces. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, that's critical. And I'd be, be remiss if I say a, an extremely supportive spouse. Uh, my, my wife has helped me through many a tough times. Couldn't do it without her. Oh, yeah. I, thank you. Thank you for giving credit to her. I'm sure she, she much appreciates that. So, and uh, definitely for me can, you know, I should, um, she's an unsung hero, but she should, you know, she should be acknowledged more often than she, than I give her. So thanks for doing that. Uh, when you think about kind of like fostering your, you know, your team's culture. So, Right now, my team is very small. Um, we've all worked together. We've got a very strong shared vision that's evolved. You know, we're, we're aligned on things, you know, like around the server leadership and everything. So n- not a lot there, but to really maybe issues talk about. But one thing I've noticed as I've gone around consulting with all these different companies is there are lots of different ways to solve problems. And, you know, the, the core of it is always the team and the team dynamics. Some people will debate in the software world, you know, like Agile is the only way to do it. Could it be Waterfall? Well, I'll tell you, there's some teams that have shipped good products with Waterfall and some teams with Agile. And it, it depends on what those team dynamics are, what the roles are, how they all mesh together. And all the times I've gone in and helped the companies, I mean, the first thing I've really done is got just a deep understanding of the team and their dynamics and how they all work together. And you can... I mean, you can say you want to be a certain kind of team. The drought is you can you can hire towards that as best you can, but you know it's it's not like the NBA where you can you know draft all small, quick point guards, three point shooters, right? You know you you've got to get the mix and everything, and then you've got to you've got to just tailor some of what you want to do and how you want to do it around the strengths of the folks you got around you. Yep. Yeah, one of my mentors said that there's three characteristics, right? There's character, there's competency, and there's chemistry. Chemistry is always the wild card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you know, in in the SaaS world, I mean, I, there are some just crazy talented people out there, right? And 
software engineers, data science people. And like, they can sometimes be some of the most challenging people to work with, but yet they are just so incredibly talented. It, it kind of yeah. goes hand in hand. So the, that's funny. Yeah, that's funny. <clears throat> that's good to kind of, you know, pick up, you know, from an industry perspective that that it's that way there. Yeah. When you think about like kind of Mike talking to you like, hey, you can do consulting. Why don't you do consulting? Hey, why don't you start your own business? What's something that's been like the most rewarding part about your evolution? I would say it's just all the learning I've done and growth I've had. You know, there, there's things I do now that I could point to and say, you know, I, I learned this from, you know, this guy five years ago when I was working with him and this other piece that I've learned, you know, from various people. And again, when after 20 years in Ontario and then working with, I kind of lost track of how many companies worked with since then. but Across all of them, you know, a lot of the problems were the same, but you know, all the people were different and there were different approaches and different mindsets. And so like, it just really, really expanded my horizons. And then I, I think what I probably learned was, I, I know several people who would say I was that difficult guy in the SaaS world to work with. I just, I would hope they would say I was that talented guy too, but <laughs> certainly, you know, trying to learn how to really build that chemistry and 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 pull people together so that's cool it took a lot of learning from a lot of different people that's great that's great i love how you're just so transparent about that mark if people wanted to get to get in contact with you after the show what's the best way for them to do that yeah so they can uh go to our website inflectionsoftware.com and reach out to me there or they can email me at mark at inflectionsoftware.com. Those are probably the two easiest ways. Cool. Well, Mark, it has been a pleasure having you on this show. And um, yeah, I'm just excited for what you're doing. And um, yeah, thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you. Again, appreciate being on your show. Thank you for listening to today's interview. To view show notes or hear more episodes, please visit www.savagetosage.com.